0: Good morning. I've heard from quite a few people bemoaning the end of Name Tag Sundays <laughs> as we now have to go back to relying on our memories. Personally, I will answer to, hey, as long as you say it with a smile. But my name is Jen, and I am one of the clergy here at Holy Trinity. I get to preach today because Jordan was in Scotland this entire week defending his dissertation, Now, I don't know, I hear Scotland, I hear defense, and my mind goes to Braveheart. (laughs) I apologize, but I imagine Jordan in face paint. (laughs) Possibly a kilt, I don't know. All of which is probably really dumb and wrong for me to say, but I did say it, so again, Apologies for my obtuseness, and congratulations to Reverend Dr. Center. (laughs) Actually, have a point. (laughs) I hate you for my obtuseness, at least this morning I do. Our Gospel reading for today is, in fact, driven by obtuseness. And it happens on several levels. Being obtuse is actually sort of the narrative glue for this encounter with Jesus. First is the disabled man, whom we are told has been sick for 38 years, who is now a fixture at the pool. Legend has it that every now and then, angels would come and stir the waters and whoever was the first to enter the pool, into the, uh, while it was still stirring, would be healed. Now, we don't know if he's been there for 38 years, trying to be the first one in, but he's been there a very long time, decades possibly. It hasn't worked, yet he is still at it. Somewhere along the way, this has become his life. Many of you are familiar with the saying, the definition of insanity is doing doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Where does perseverance end and insanity begin? I would say this man crossed that line some time ago. Now, Seeing this, this may be the reason why Jesus encounters this man, and he asks him a question of his desire: Do you want to get well? Or even perhaps better, do you really want to get well? Andy Wright observes clearly: the man has made a way of life out of his long wait for healing. Jesus' question then is quite pointed. Do you really want to get better? Or are you quite happy to eke out your days lounging around here with the feeble excuse that someone else always gets in first? I thought it was a little bit sharp, but I see his point. For me, I hear in this question an offer of mercy but it is also a mirror raised up to look into ourselves, into our own hearts. There's something quite penetrating about Jesus' question that looks past our own obtuseness and into our soul. Yes, I know you say you want to get well, but do you really want to get well? Jesus, I think, is asking us to look deeper because when it comes to healing, far too often, we are our own worst enemies. I want Jesus to fix me at this level, but I don't want him to touch this level here. Sometimes, we just don't want to know that there is anything wrong with us. I find myself too easily wanting to hide and deny and refuse to acknowledge that I need real healing in my life, even when it might be obvious to pretty much everybody else in my life. The hardest question for me every time in small groups is, let's all share a prayer need. One way I find how this plays out in my life, I recognize this, about this time last year, uh, I had a health scare, and my first real health scare, and my doctor wanted wanted for me to see a specialist and get some extra tests done, which I, of course, found to be extremely inconvenient because I would have to fit it into my schedule and would mess up my plans for all these other things I had in mind. So I kept on pushing the appointment back until finally there was a point at which my wife called me out on it and she said, stop doing this. Even for something as simple as this, my default mode was denial. There was a part of me that didn't want to know and I don't think I'm alone. Moreover, when you look at the various healing encounters of Jesus in the scriptures, very often people will come to him asking for a very specific physical healing, but Jesus will almost always approach it holistically, restoring that person's emotions, restoring that person back into community, restoring that person's Sense of their spiritual well-being. But again, we try to limit and narrow and isolate our need for Jesus' healing. It almost feels safer to say to Jesus and say, God, I need you to heal me with my physical issues while we hide the rest of who we are from Him. You can see this clearly in this text, even in this short encounter with this man, why is he so alone in his suffering? Why is there no one to help him for all these years? And in his particular case, we are also told that there is sin in in his life that is connected to his physical condition, something that the man leaves out in his conversation with Jesus. Now, I want to be absolutely clear that not all ailments are connected to sin. Jesus makes that clear in a few chapters later in chapter 9 when he talks about the blind man. And they, say, they ask him, is it his fault or is it his parents' fault? And he says, it doesn't have to do with any of those things. But we do know that our physical ailments are often connected to the emotional well-being, to our emotional well-being, emotional stress often expresses itself in physical ways. Long before I knew I had problems in my soul, my body knew. And vice versa, we get depressed when our bodies aren't working right. Relational distress takes a toll on our body physically. All this to say, when we narrow our encounters with Jesus the healer to just the physical, we sort of missed the point. We can be healed of our various physical ailments and we could still not be well. Our appointment isn't with the healing. It is rather with the healer. So, do you want to get well? How would you answer that question right now? Encountering Jesus as healer has to begin with the admission of our need for Jesus as the healer. Now, let's switch gears a little bit. Approaching it a little bit from the other side, in a way that this man fails to understand and even address Jesus' question is actually not that surprising. His reply that while I am trying to get into the pool, someone else always gets in front of me, reflects the harsh logic of a universe, uncaring about the particular pains and the brokenness of any one of us, let alone this insignificant man that he sees himself to be. Like some twisted version of the Sisyphus story the universe dangles the possibility of healing only to snatch it away at the last minute. In such a world, the angels and the gods play with the needs and the longings of human beings and are at their best indifferent to them. So why would it matter that he understands his needs, or his wants. That would assume that there is someone who actually cares about those things, which, of course, is actually the point, and which we'll get to shortly. But I find this worldview to be reflective of a very modern sentiment as well. This indifferent, uncaring universe. Stephen Crane once wrote a poem. A man said to the universe, I exist. That may be true, said the universe. However, that has never created in me a sense of obligation to you. How do you navigate a no-obligation universe. Living in such a universe becomes primarily then about strategies and tactics to manipulate the forces and the resources within it for our own benefit. Every man for himself, the first one in the pool, wins. Even a hopeful a more caring version of that world can only be filled with anxiety, a feeling that I think dominates our own cultural landscape. Now, strangely enough, I think you would agree that this harsh logic of an indifferent world can be formed from a spiritual or religious, and dare I say, a Christian perspective as well. You can see this in the obtuseness of the concerns of the Jewish leaders. A man is healed. He's walking around. A man that they've known long to be famously a poolside fixture. And they confront this healed man and say, It's the Sabbath. You didn't follow the rules. You see it in them and You can see it in the moralistic, therapeutic deism that dominates the mindset of so much American Christianity. We're still focused on rules to manipulate the system, focused on strategies and tactics. And not only does it produce anxiety, anxiety is often the primary driving force which is kind of why I remember when, when I first started coming out to Holy Trinity, and Todd would talk about doing things in our church in a non-anxious sort of a way. He would talk about doing things in our church, and I've never heard that phrase before, in the church. Let's do things in the church in a non-anxious sort of a way. I found it to be incredibly strange and curious because most of my ministry training, I feel like, was in learning to amp up the anxiety so as to motivate the people. I am a recovering anxiety addict, but I'm still learning. Now, so again, why does Jesus ask about what our needs are, what our pains might be? Why does Jesus even ask? Because the encounter with Jesus as healer isn't just an offer of a pain-free life. Rather, it is the offer of a whole new world, an alternative to the cruel logic of an indifferent universe. It is, as N.T. Wright states, the offer of a new life, a new creation that brings with it healing and new possibilities. So it is, in this context, an offer of a whole new world that Jesus comes to us as the Son of God, as a second member of the Trinity, the Redeemer of all creation, not only to declare his care for us in general, but in the particularities of our infirmities and in the particular stories of our sorrows. Why is Jesus doing this? Why does he do this? He answers, this is the Father's work. And because that is the case, Jesus tells us in verse 17, so must the son be doing the same. I think the most incredible part of that statement is not just that Jesus is claiming to be God, but rather that he is telling us about the incredible nature of this God. Our God cares about cares about us in our infirmities, and our sorrows in all the messy ways in which we are broken so that where there is pain, where there is loss, where there is brokenness, we don't have to be alone. For the Lord, our healer, is present. He is offering and he is inviting and he is healing And that means that as cold and harsh and indifferent as our universe may feel at times, we can know that we are ultimately held by a God who cares. Don't you just need to hear that sometimes? Don't you just need to be reminded of that? I did this week just to feel just to not feel overwhelmed. I get to do something fun, fun for me, my idea fun and challenging this week. I'm working with a team of incredible people in our diocese. We've all been, and we've been working in areas of racial reconciliation in different ways. We will all see ourselves kind of as doing bridge work. And we get to run a workshop at the clergy retreat that's coming up. Now, we got, uh, we've already had some great conversations online, but as you can imagine, the work of racial reconciliation is really hard. It's hard work, especially in our current climate, when everything is just amped up. It's slow going. It's incredibly slow going. And there are many, many days in which we wonder, are we doing are we having any impact? Are we making a difference? There is so much that is broken and at so many levels, so much healing left to do. So, At our last meeting, one of, the, one of the people in our group, she asked, how do we sustain this for the long haul? One way. By remembering this, that where there is brokenness and healing left to do, there is Jesus doing the work of the Father. So, the only question left to ask is where is Jesus working in our world, healing and caring? And restoring that you're being called to? Where are the places where you need to remind people of this incredible truth? Where are the areas in your life where you have to be reminded of this truth for yourself? Would you just Close your eyes a little bit and join with me in silence as we reflect on this incredible truth of encountering Jesus as healer. Amen.